John chapter 5, verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. But if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The Apostle John has been writing this gospel to fully explain to us who Jesus is so that we may know him, so that we may believe in him, so that we may trust him. And in these statements that John has recorded, we can see that Jesus is indeed the Christ, that he is the only begotten Son of God. Not only by the miracles that uh, he performed that John made a record of, but also by the witnesses that Jesus lists in this passage here. You see, Jesus didn't just arrive and claim to be the Son of God and twist some scriptures to make it seem like he was the Son of God. There were indisputable proofs, there were indisputable witnesses that confirmed that he is the Christ. Amen. So there was a lot to go with his word to confirm his word. This discourse that is happening between Jesus and the Pharisees is part of the ongoing effort by the Pharisees to discredit Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, they followed. When he spoke, they countered. When he performed a miracle, they tried to explain it away. They were doing everything they could to try to discredit Jesus. This is one great big cross-examination. Y'all ever watch court TV shows or TV shows about maybe law and order? Maybe you watch court TV. You have the attorney that will put his client on the stand. He'll ask his client to tell his story. He'll tell his story. And then the other attorney will cross-examine him. What is the point of the cross-examination? It is to find holes in the story to impeach the witness, to discredit the witness. And that's what the Pharisees are doing here. This is one big cross-examination. In essence, they've been putting Jesus on trial through his entire ministry. And in this exchange, Jesus brings witnesses to the court. And he points out that he has these witnesses to prove that he is the Christ. And in this passage, he lists three of them. 
The first one he lists is John the Baptist. Jesus had the witness of John the Baptist. The second witness that Jesus had was the miracles that he performed, which are actually the testimony of his father, our heavenly father, God himself. And finally, he had the witness of the Holy Scriptures. Not just a few verses here cherry-picked and made to say what he wants them to say, but he had the entire Old Testament pointing to him as Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the only begotten Son of God. He had these witnesses to vouch for him to prove his point. Now, Scripture says in the Old Testament to let everything be confirmed by the mouths of two to three witnesses. And what Jesus has here are three indisputable, unimpeachable witnesses to witness to his lordship, to his sonship, to his divinity, to his power, to his authority. First of all, you have the ministry of John the Baptist. Jesus said in verses 33 through 35, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, Jesus disclaimers that even though he is pointing to John as one of his witnesses, that his testimony does not come from man. If all we had to establish the fact that Jesus was the Christ was the testimony of mere mortals, we would have been in trouble. People say, well, you can make this up. This could have been a conspiracy. People say that man wrote the Bible. That the, I, I was watching a YouTube video where a guy says the government wrote the Bible. He goes, okay, and the next thing you're going to say is that, well, the Bible existed before the government. Well, that may be true, but, um, and I, I clicked out. I'm like, okay, I, at my age, your IQ begins to slip. And I was afraid that watching the rest of that video would accelerate the slippage of my IQ, so I quit watching it. And after all, I mean, once you spend five minutes, you can't get the five minutes back. There are no refunds on your time spent. But we have more than just the testimony of the apostles. We have more than just the eyewitness testimony of who Jesus is. You can get a group of people together and y'all can come up with something and make up a lie. There are religions and religious leaders who have been entirely propped up and created by man and millions testify to their truth. There's Islam. It's completely made up. There's Buddhism, Confucianism, Hinduism. It's completely made up, made up by man. Traditions passed down through generations. But Jesus says, my testimony is not from man. There's something different here. Now, there are millions of men throughout history that have testified to the truth of the gospel and the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we have more than that. We have more than that. The testimony... The proofs of Jesus Christ are not mortal. They come from God himself. Amen. Jesus said, you sent to John. John was a prophet called out by God and set aside for the sole purpose of introducing the world to Jesus Christ. He was special. He was set aside. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to Elizabeth, the mother of John, and John is there, 
as an infant inside Elizabeth's womb, and Mary spoke to Elizabeth. Elizabeth said that she felt John leap within her for joy at the presence. And I believe Elizabeth said at the presence of the mother of her, of her Lord, but John's joy that led him to leap before he was even born was at the presence of his Lord altogether. John led a life totally different than any life we would lead today. He wore camel hair and ate wild honey, not wild honey bears. We had a youth class, and I was quizzing the kids about John the Baptist. One of the kids goes, well, he ate wild honey bears. And, of course, you know, it didn't help, I think, that we'd had gummy bears as our snack that night. But we had a good laugh about that. He ate locust and wild honey. He, uh, he lived a life totally dedicated to the preaching of the coming of the Lord. And we have this amazing life of this man who dedicated every bit of his being because God had dedicated every bit of his being to prophesying of the coming of the Lord. And that's amazing. But what's even more amazing is that, that his life, his existence, and his ministry and the way he would conduct that ministry was prophesied hundreds of years before in the Old Testament. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. The ESV says it completely different. This is one of the reasons I'm transitioning back. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist openly declared in his ministry that he was the fulfillment of that verse. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. If that doesn't describe the ministry of John the Baptist to prepare the way to go before, to call the people to repentance, this was prophesied in the Old Testament. John's ministry was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees, Jesus said, you were willing to rejoice in his life. What was happening with John the Baptist was something that had not happened for 400 years. The Israel had not seen a prophet for 400 years. When Malachi passed away, there was no more prophecy in the land of Israel for 400 years. And Israel went through some times then. They went through the Maccabees. They went through the Roman conquest. They went through all kinds of conflict and, and war and famine and, and good times and bad times. They were put through the ringer in that 400 years, that 400 years called the silent era. But then you have John the Baptist, and he is prophesying. He's a prophet, and they had not seen this for so long. Their grandfathers and great-grandfathers had taught them and told them about the days when Israel had prophets, and here we have one. And the Pharisees, Jesus said, were willing to rejoice in that light, were willing to rejoice in that. For a season, they enjoyed the show. And John's ministry was to point them to Christ. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament. John's entire existence was God's testimony to man that Jesus is indeed his only begotten son sent to redeem his people from their sins. John's existence in and of itself proved who Jesus was. But then we have to consider, what did John say? In John chapter 1 verse 15, John the Baptist 
we got two Johns here. That This can get confusing. You know, the ministry of John the Baptist versus John the Apostle who's writing all this stuff down. Um, John the Baptist, in, verse, in John chapter 1, verse 15, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. People were asking John, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? He says, no, but there is one coming after me that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelace, to unloose his shoe. He say, well, what's, what's that about? Back in those days, you greeted your guests by washing their feet. And if you had a servant to do this, the servant would do this for you. They would remove the shoes from your guest because they wore sandals, dirt, road. It gets dirty down there. And so the, the servant would remove the shoes from the guest and using a basin of water would wash the feet of your guest so that they could be comfortable in your home with clean feet. This was standard household hospitality. And the servant who had the duty of washing the guest's feet was the lowest servant on the totem pole. And John's saying, with this guy that's coming, I'm not even worthy to be that servant. I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoe. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John identified Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, and the one who would give himself for our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, the payment of our penalty, that we may be free in God's kingdom. Amen. We have the testimony of John the Baptist. We not only have his testimony recorded in the four Gospels, but we also have the account in Matthew chapter 11 where John sent his disciples to Jesus, which it's interesting in Matthew chapter 11 that John still has disciples because John has been going around saying, Behold the Lamb of God, there is the Christ, there is the Messiah, and people are still following John and not Jesus. Do you think John saw a problem with this? John, I think he did because in John chapter 3, John said he must increase but I must decrease. And so we have in Matthew chapter 11, John is in prison, John is facing execution, and John sends some of his disciples over to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the Christ, or are we to look for another? And Jesus responded to the disciples, go and tell John what you see, that the blind see, that the deaf hear, that the mute speak, that the paralyzed are walking, that these things are happening. Now, do you think John was having a lapse in his faith when he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus if he was the Christ or if there was another one they should look for? John grew up knowing that this was his mission. Yes. He lived his entire life knowing what he was here for, knowing who Jesus was, seeing the Spirit of God descend upon Christ like a dove with the, at the baptism of Jesus. I think... John sent these two disciples to Jesus for their benefit so that these disciples would know that this is the one to follow. Amen. And I think that John sent his disciples to Jesus for our benefit so that we would know that Jesus is the one to follow. Jesus is the one to worship. Jesus is the one to have faith in. You have the ability to read the scriptures. And if you believe them, God will cultivate your faith. We have the testimony of John as recorded through the scriptures. 
And secondly, we have the testimony of the miracles. Jesus said in verse 36, we're back in John chapter 5 now. Jesus said in John 5, 36, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Amen. The miracles that Jesus performed, the works that the Father gave him, the works that he was doing, the miracles that Jesus was performing were proof, were testimony, were evidence that Jesus was the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He knew it, yes. they knew it, yes. and he knew that they knew it. In John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Y'all remember this story? Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want people knowing that he's going to go see Jesus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And notice what he says, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. <laughs> Nicodemus said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. We know that you come from God, Jesus. Who's we? Nicodemus was not British royalty. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. What he is doing in this moment is he is confessing to Christ that the conversations in the Sanhedrin were about how the miracles of Jesus proved that he had come from God, proved that he was the Christ, and now the central issue for them is what was to become of them. Nicodemus went to Jesus with a confession. We know that you are a teacher come from God because nobody can do the things that you're doing. No one can perform these miracles. Jesus had just barely got started by this point. No one can perform these miracles except that God be with him. Amen. And the Pharisees knew it. And the Sanhedrin knew it. And the issue that Nicodemus has is what does this mean for us? The issue that the Pharisees had is what does this mean for us? Mm -hmm. If you're here, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, what's this mean to us? Mm -hmm. And that prompts the entire conversation that Jesus has in John chapter 3. This is the prompt that gives us John 3, 16, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You have heard that verse your entire life. But Jesus goes on, he says in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What does this mean for you, Nicodemus? What does this mean for your Sanhedrin buddies, your Pharisee buddies? What this means is if you believe, you will be saved. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus was saying, if you believe in me, Jesus was saying, if you believe in the Christ, if you trust, you have faith, you submit to the Lord, you follow him, you trust him, you believe in him, you accept his salvation, then you will have everlasting life. All the promises that God made in the Old Testament will be yours. 
Because Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, and he did not come into the world to condemn the Pharisees. He did not come into the world to mess the Sanhedrin up and to kick those guys out on the street and to execute wrath and judgment on them. They really had nothing to fear from Jesus if they would only believe. But he said, he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. If the Sanhedrin were to reject Christ, if they were to rebel against God, to rebel against Jesus, then they would find themselves on the receiving end of God's judgment and his condemnation. And we know history tells us, scripture tells us how this story ended. They were more concerned with their pride and their temporary life here and now that they rejected Jesus Christ and thus they endured the ultimate condemnation. Jesus went on to say, and this is the condemnation. This is what it's about. This is why the condemnation happens. Light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, very influential fellow. And he's saying the condemnation is that men love darkness rather than light. And they want to stay in the darkness so that their evil deeds can remain concealed. These Pharisees could put on an aura of righteousness. They could look like they had it all together. But underneath, they were highly corrupt. They were evil in their hearts. Jesus said... Their throat light was like an open sepulcher. He compared them to being coffins that had been opened up. Men love that darkness because they can keep those evil deeds concealed. But he that does truth comes to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest that they are rotten God. The question is, do we want to remain concealed and do our own thing? Or do we want to step into the light of Jesus Christ and be redeemed and be saved? The Apostle John wrote the gospel according to John to record the miracles. We have the miracles as a witness. The Apostle John wrote the gospel according to John to record the miracles so that we too can know that he comes from God. And better yet, we can believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. John chapter 20 verses 30 through 31, John writes, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. Mm -hmm. In reading these miracles in the gospel, we must decide whether we think they really happened or not. Did Jesus turn the water into wine? Did he have, does that identify him as the creator who has the control over the molecular makeup of that which is in front of us? Did Jesus calm the storm with a word? It, does he have authority over nature and over creation to tell it how to behave? Did Jesus restore sight to the blind man, hearing to the deaf man, speech to the mute man, the ability to walk to the paralyzed man? Was Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration? Did he feed the 5,000 miraculously through the loaves and the fishes? Did he heal the woman with the issue of blood? Did he raise the nobleman's son from his bed? from his deathbed? Did he bring Lazarus back from the dead? Did Jesus do all these things? We have to make a decision. Do we believe what the Bible says? Yes. 
Did he walk on the water? Do we believe what the Bible says? Did he go to the cross and give up his give up his Father into your hand I commend into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus willed himself to die. He decided when his soul would leave his body. Do we believe that? He was buried. He rose again the third day. He rose again. He, when I say he rose again, he didn't come back in the form of, of a ghost who's just floating. No, I mean, he came back in bodily form. He was resurrected. Do we believe that? Do we believe that he ascended from the Mount of Olives through the clouds into heaven to be at the right hand of the throne of God? We have to make the decision. Do we believe that that really happened or not? If we believe that none of this happened, then we believe that the Apostle John is a liar because he's the one telling us all these things. And if the Apostle John is a liar, then we have to conclude that the entire Bible is a lie. Maybe the weird guy on YouTube was right. It was written by the government to bring us into slavery. That kind of thinking will lead you to hell. Yeah, right. That kind of thinking brings the condemnation of God. Yeah. What God honors, what he rewards, what brings salvation is taking him at his word and believing his word. If we believe that he is telling the truth, then we have to decide what to do about it. Do we repent and believe? Do we come to the light? Or do we reject the message and remain in darkness where we erroneously believe that our evil can be concealed? What's your decision with this? We have the testimony of John the Baptist. We have the testimony of the miracles that Jesus performed as recorded by the Apostle John as well as the other writers of the Gospels. We also have the testimony of the Scriptures. In verses 39 through 40, Jesus said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees believed that by, by possessing and knowing the Scriptures, they all had eternal life. We have the Bible. We read the Bible. We know what's in the Bible. Amen. But yet, they had completely missed the point and rejected Christ altogether. There are many people that can quote almost any scripture. They can parse Greek words, pull out the lexicon, tell me that this is the Greek word so-and-so in the past present perfect tense, which indicates a so-and-so that is tied back to this word and that this pronoun modifies this noun. I think I said some of that stuff right. I, I don't know. You have people that can tell you when each book of the Bible was written, what context it was written in, whether or not the manuscripts are reliable. They can tell you about how the Dead Sea Scrolls lended themselves to the credibility of the Bible. They can tell you what doctrine you should follow based on this word and this passage and this book. This is the way it ought to be. They can tell you all kinds of things about the Bible. Yet, if they fail to get to know the Jesus of the Bible, it's all for naught. We live in a time, we had a school shooting in St. Louis this past week. Did y'all read about it? Anybody hear about this? No. It's getting so common, it's not even going to make the news anymore. And if you did read about it, you thought it was a shame, but you've got the rest of your day to get to because if we stopped in more than 10 days for every school shooting that happens in this country, we would never get anything done. 
because I'm not trying to be cold and, and heartless. I'm just saying that's how common these are. This just seems to be happening an awful lot. Yes. One of my friends goes on social media and complains that the reason we're having school shootings is because there's not enough funding for mental health. Other friends complain that there was not enough security at the school and there should have been an armed guard. You guys want your kids walking by armed guards on the way to school? Is that the America we grew up in? No. But the America we grew up in doesn't exist anymore. No. And it's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Republicans' fault. Politics actually has very little to do with it. The problem is we have the breakdown in the family. We have generations now that have lived godlessly, that have lived without the light of the gospel. And that's resulted in the breakdown of the family. That's resulted in child abuse. That's resulted in trauma. That's resulted in a lot of people have messed up minds. Mental health is an issue. But if we're just going to try to increase mental health funding without addressing the root cause of why we have so much mental health today, we will never be able to find enough funding. The state of Texas is experiencing this right now with CPS, and they don't know why they're experiencing it. We don't have enough foster homes. No, we have lots of foster homes. We have too many foster children. Why do we have too many foster children? Because we have too many abusive parents. Why do we have too many abusive parents? Because if you ask any evangelical leader, he'll tell you it's the breakdown in the home. It's the breakdown of the family. So let's go have family ministry. Let's get Dr. James Dobson in here. Let's get Family Life Today Ministries in here. Let's start preaching about family, right? Except that you divorce, maybe not the best word to use for this, but if you divorce family ministry from the gospel, all you get is a bunch of pharisaical rules that nobody wants to, nobody wants to follow. Because the family ministry will go to a woman and tell her that she is to submit to her husband. You know, the guy that got drunk and ran around on her, the guy that, that takes advantage of her, the, the guy that sits on the sofa all day, I'm generalizing worst case scenarios here. I'm not thinking anybody in here is doing this. The guy that sits on the sofa all day playing Xbox while his wife works two jobs. Family ministry, without knowing if that's her background, will tell her she's to submit to her husband. What was she going to say to that? No, thank you. No, thank you. Family ministry is going to tell a man that he is to work two jobs if necessary and spend three hours a day with his kids and do all these other things. And he's going to look at the list of responsibilities that's about to be piled on his plate. And he's going to, what's he going to say? I can't handle this. I'm sorry. I love you. I can't take it anymore. I got to go over here. I wish the best for you. I'll pay you some child support. Hey, he's going to jet. We lose the gospel in that. Why is the husband to be the head of the household? Why is the wife to be submissive to her husband? You read Ephesians chapter 5. It is about presenting a picture of the gospel. If the gospel is absent from that, it will not work. Yeah. But see, the church, churches, the institution of the church, however you want to say it, has gotten in the business of politics We've gotten in the business of telling everybody how to behave. We've gotten in the business of giving you a pretty good list of do's and don'ts and what the ideal situation is. And we lost the gospel and all that. If we want to see healing from this, 
We've got to get back to the gospel. We've got to get into the business of preaching the gospel. We've got to quit. I am pro-gun. I'm not even pro-gun. Let me be honest about this. I'm about the right to defend your life by any means necessary. That's what I'm about. But we don't need to jump into these conversations and try to explain why we don't need more gun regulation. And we don't need to get into these conversations of why we need more mental health funding. And we don't even need to start trying to tell people that the reason we have such a big mental health crisis in our country is that we have totally and 100% turned our back on God. We just need to get back in the business of preaching the gospel. That's where we need to be. Charles Spurgeon said when he read a passage of scripture, he made a beeline for the gospel. When he preached a passage of scripture, he made a beeline for the gospel. He would take that passage of scripture and he would tie it into the gospel because that's what all scripture is about. His preaching and his teaching led to the salvation of thousands of people. The Metropolitan Tabernacle in London flourished with souls saved. Charles Spurgeon didn't give an invitation at the conclusion of service. He told you if you want if you want to to talk with him and counsel with him about the word you had heard, you could talk to him the following morning at his office. And at 8 a.m. when he arrived at his office, there was always a lot of people waiting to talk to him. His preaching and his teaching was so simplistic, the highly educated theologians of his day thought his sermons were profane, being so simple that the youngest and the lowest educated could understand. But is that not what the kingdom is all about? Jesus said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. When we're searching the scriptures, if we're finding anything besides Jesus in there, we're missing the point. The scriptures testify to Jesus being the Christ. I'm not trying to be apolitical. I'm not going woke. I'm not going liberal. I'm telling you that I have found myself in my day fighting a bunch of battles that I had no business fighting. And I'm warning you against making the same mistake I made. We've got to be gospel driven. Yes. We've got to see the evidence that has been laid out here in this trial. Jesus here has been put on trial. And you have heard the testimonies from the witnesses. And to borrow from Josh McDowell, this evidence demands a verdict. Do you or don't you believe he is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior? Do you or don't you believe that he has redeemed you, that he has forgiven you, that he has healed you, that he will receive you into his kingdom. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you believe that, that ought to have an impact. It ought to have an impact. And the impact goes beyond whether or not you choose to watch that movie whether or not you choose to listen to that song, whether or not you choose to drink that beverage. That impact goes beyond 
whether or not you put that money in the plate. These are all simple things. These are all simple things. Putting money in the plate is the simplest thing. Say, I don't have a lot of money. Then you don't put a lot of money in the plate. God never asks you for all of it. He asks you for the first 10, the first 10%, the tithe, the first and the best. Mm -hmm. But even giving that is simple. The mark of someone who has truly believed this is someone whose life has completely been transformed where they approach life from a totally new purpose. Amen. And yeah. so you may still work in the same occupation, but you now see the purpose in that occupation, and that occupation becomes the platform by which you minister the gospel to others. Yes. The child of God who has been transformed by the gospel doesn't need me to type up a script so they can tell their best friend about Jesus. Mm -hmm. The person who has been transformed by the gospel has the ability to give comfort and to hold someone's hand while they're dying. The person who has been transformed by the gospel will not give up in trying to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Those are the marks of people who have been transformed by the gospel. And when you have a church full of people who have been transformed by the gospel, you will see a church that is powerful and a church that is on purpose. A church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Right. And Jesus himself said so. Yes. So my challenge to you as we go forward from here is that you do not allow the things in life to distract you from the gospel. That's right. It's easy to do. Yes. You walk out of here, you're going for lunch. All things are possible for those who know the Lord, except for deciding where we're going to go to lunch. And when you get to lunch, you're going to run into that line because everybody else had the same idea. You're going to get on your phone and scroll through social media and you are going to see just how broken and how lost this world is. It's going to make you angry. If you're not careful, by the end of the day today, you will have forgotten about the gospel altogether. You will have forgotten about Jesus altogether. My challenge to you is to keep the blessed redemption that he has brought in your life ever before you. Let us stand.